Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. If you've ever felt overworked, overcommitted, and overloaded, this episode is for you. We're going to explore how we can do less, but do better in every area of our lives by embracing the practice of essentialism. Our guest is leadership and business strategist Greg McEwen, author of the New York Times bestseller, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Greg, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It's such an honor to talk to you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So let's go to the basics for people who aren't familiar with you. What is essentialism and how can we actually be disciplined in pursuing less? It's such a foreign idea. Well, essentialism is an antidote to a problem, and the problem is the undisciplined pursuit of more, where we're pulled in a million different directions. We feel stretched too thin at work or at home. We feel busy but not productive. Uh, We feel like our day is being hijacked by other people's agenda for us. Uh, Essentialism is the answer to that challenge, that problem. If people are saying, yes, that's me, then essentialism is the way out. Uh, And it really has three parts to it. You're creating space to explore what's essential. You're developing the skill to eliminate the non-essential. And then you're trying to build a system that makes execution as easy as possible. So it's effortless, um, you know, as, as, as you can do it. It's explore, eliminate, and execute. And part one of your book is about essence. What is the core mindset of the essentialist? Yeah, so this is a cheat sheet way of of becoming an essentialist because if you get the right mindset, I think that a huge portion, let me say 80% of the work can happen naturally, spontaneously, and intuitively. And it's this mindset. If you believe that, that almost everything is essential, if you believe that, then you're going to operate in a certain way. You're going to say, okay, well, how do I fit it all in? How do I shove it all in? Because that's the only way I'm going to get the life I really want. If you believe, which I think is closer to reality, that almost everything is noise, the trivial many, and only a few things are exceptionally valuable, essential, then you'd change automatically your approach to living. It's a bit like waking up in the morning and discovering, oh, the whole life I thought we were in a coal mine and my job was to get as much from point A to point B as possible. And suddenly it was never a coal mine. It's always been a diamond mine. And think of how different you would suddenly approach the job uh, of, of your life. You'd say, okay, well, hold on. I've got to create space to think what really matters. Let me find those diamonds. Let me find the few things that are really essential. And and then, of course, you wouldn't waste any time on the non-essential stuff. They're far, far less valuable. So you'd try to work out ways to negotiate your way through life so you spent as little of your energy as possible on that. And, and, And then you'd want a system to be able to do this repeatedly and consistently. So the essence, the mindset is this discovery. Only a few things matter, the vital few. And that the work of my life is really to discover what they are and to reduce everything else. Now, do you think that being in quarantine and working from home has helped us figure out what's essential or has it made it worse because we kind of have more distractions at home (laughs) with social media and kids and everything and the ability to do things and not have a schedule? I think that in the early days of, uh, of COVID, the whole world became almost overnight involuntary essentialists. So there was a requirement to look at your life, even if you didn't want to. 
it was it was like the you know i don't know someone up there was saying not unkindly to the whole human family look you just go to your room <laughs> right <laughs> and, and you just and you just have a think about this for a bit and you don't and come we're out we're not going to tell you when to come out <laughs> no <laughs> you, you, you just you come out when you're ready you know good and ready to to look at this and so i think everybody was sort of forced to look at their life for well, what is essential when everything is different, when suddenly you can't do all the things you were doing before, which things do you really miss? Which things do you want to rush back to? And which things do you say, I'm happy if I never do that thing again? It was, it's not perfect way of trying to become an essentialist, but it was a decent placeholder to encourage people to just reflect everybody whether they want to do or not had to ask themselves what's essential now and and so i think there was an opportunity there a chance for the great reset we had the great depression we had the great recession this was a chance for the great reset and for some people they they have had this i i launched a podcast myself just a few weeks ago and uh, one of the people i had on there was emily uh, stewart is a nurse in the national health service in in england and and she was talking about what it's been like working with at risk uh, patients elderly patients amidst all of covid and this pressure and one of the things she said is is i have a physical reaction at the thought of going back to how things were before so much busier so much just a constant uh frenetic frantic feeling of life she does not want to go back and she's not alone uh we found that there's a yougov poll in the uk that found that just nine percent of people want to go back to life as it was before covid Wow. wow. That wow. doesn't say that people want this to be the, the new normal forever. Uh, people uh, recognize that certain needs are harder to meet or not being met, social needs that, that are you know, really genuinely needs, not wants within us need to be met and will be eventually. But let's use this opportunity to design a life we really want to live, a life that is really meaningful and satisfying and not rush back to a life of rush. When I was thinking about doing the interview with you, I was wondering why we don't all just practice essentialism naturally. I mean, it seems like it would be simple enough to simply figure out what's essential and to prioritize it, and yet it's not. So why don't we do this naturally? The reason is success. Um, we, we, I spent 10 years working with Silicon Valley companies and notice a predictable pattern there that applies to us personally as well. Uh, the pattern is that in the early days, these ventures would be small and almost out of necessity would be focused. And if they weren't, they, they ceased to exist. So the ones that were successful got focused that focus led to success. That success breeded options and opportunities. All of that sounds like the right problem to have, and, and it is, but it doesn't make it less of a problem. When you have more options and opportunities than you can absorb, it creates a stress. You want to do these things, but you don't have the time and resources to do them. And so if, you leave, if it leads to the phrase I've already mentioned, the undisciplined pursuit of more, you're doing something that could even be quite well-intentioned, which is pursue lots of good things. Pursue the things you set out to pursue a year or two ago. I mean, all of this is very natural, 
uh, very like capable, intelligent people would walk down this path. It's a, it's, it's, it's not something that, um, that, that you don't have to be stupid to take this path, but the, the, the results of taking it, of trying to do everything that's good, everything that's coming your way is that you will be stretched too thin. You'll plateau in your progress. You may even start to fail altogether. So, the reason that otherwise successful people don't just choose to be essentialists automatically is success. Success is, is as Bill Gates put it, is not is a poor teacher. Uh, it, it just breeds more and more activity. And as one of my friends said once to me, they said, you know, success traps are harder to get out of than failure traps. Mm -hmm. Failure traps, you're incentivized to change. Success traps, you're incentivized to carry on. Now, just bridging the gap between those examples and your specific question, society as a whole, whether people feel it or not, is incredibly successful right now. I know that there's ups and downs and I know that COVID of course for lots of people, basically everybody has lost something. So that may not sound fully resonant in this moment, but if you take a bigger picture, if you say, okay, in the history of even the last 200 years, but certainly if you said, okay, the, the, the history of the world, uh, we're living in unbelievably prosperous times, unbelievably safe times. You know, lit you know, literacy in the world is higher now than at any time in history. Uh, there's actually far less people dying of famine, uh, disease, or war now than at any time in recorded history. The, the, the internet alone, which I know, of course, we're all familiar with, we all use, but is, is news still. I mean, the, the, the learning opportunities are so vast, so extraordinary. I mean, it's un there's nothing like it. We've never had anything to compare with it. You can, you can have the entire education K through anything you want for free online. So the number of options and opportunities has not just increased exponentially in the past, it continues to increase exponentially. There is no end to what we could learn. There's no end to what we can do. Some companies have taken advantage of that by creating social media, which of course is also inexhaustible, infinite. So the number of options has not increased a little bit. It's massively increased. And our ability to make decisions and be selective hasn't changed as much as the circumstances have. So the natural, absolutely path of least resistance is that we will be overwhelmed, stretched too thin, stressed all the time, simply because of success all around us, everywhere. It's like the equivalent of, it, it's like if I became your personal shopper and I stuffed things into your closet all day long, like just <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of things. And they're good things. So like, you go, well, how could I complain? What would your closet look like at the end of a week, a month, a year of that? There'd be no space to breathe in there. You wouldn't be able to move into it. You would have to get a bigger closet and that wouldn't solve it. And, and then we could have three closets, but that wouldn't solve it. Because the only solution to massive increased success is to become massively selective. Mm-hmm far more thoughtful the challenge has changed the success has happened that's the right problem to have but we've still got to now learn how to deal with that level of optionality
I feel like I'm not alone in that I have so many issues with trade-offs and feeling like I'm going to make the wrong decision. And the second that I have a little bit of an indication that maybe one choice wasn't the best, I just beat myself up and I say, damn it, that, that was the wrong one. So how would you suggest that somebody like me approaches trade-offs and how can we stop second guessing ourselves and have belief in ourselves does it come down to needing to reevaluate our choices more frequently and make smaller choices or what does it come down to i want more specifics from you uh, on the podcast that i do I, i'm almost always doing an essential intervention with someone where i really just instead of talking about essentialism we just live it together and i feel like doing that if you're game yeah game. i'm definitely game that would be very helpful okay so we, I mean, we could approach this in a couple of ways but one question i have for you specifically is that that, that treats the subject of trade-offs is is what is something that's essential to you right now, highly important, really matters that you're under-investing in currently? Oh, wow. That's really interesting. See, right now, I feel like in my mornings, I am over-investing in the importance of going on a run. And by the time I get ready, come back, take a shower, you know, do the run, it ends up taking me like two and a half hours. And I really have blocked off an hour to do this. And I think, <laughs> God, well, you know, with that extra time, I could have done so many other things. Yeah, so that's an that's an interesting idea because because I I know that feeling when you say okay I've got a lot an hour for running, but really the run itself might be as long as that. So okay. it's not realistic to fit it into an hour because actually you've got to get ready. If there's children involved and family involved, you still got to communicate with them and meet their needs on the way out the door. Uh, there's the run itself. Then you're getting back. You've got to cool down. You go shower, get ready. I mean, you're right. It's 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 it generally when you allow an hour for exercise. Exercise, you, it's more than that. Exactly. And, exactly. And one, of the, one of the principles behind that is something called the planning fallacy, which means that humans in general have a bias. It has some use to it, but it's an unhelpful bias in some ways. Uh, and it's this, it's that we, we underestimate routinely almost how long almost anything will take. Uh, so, so it doesn't really matter what the activity is. We generally as humans underestimate the time. So, so you can see how over time that causes a problem because you keep on saying, we all keep on saying, well, I think I can fit that in. Oh yes, I can do that today. (laughs) Even though we just know better, this has been going on and on. (laughs) That's exactly right. And, and even after you teach someone the planning fallacy and even after they still, the bias is so strong in us, we just really tend towards the, well, I've got 10 minutes to make it from point A to point B, even though you've driven that journey 20 times and you know it takes 15 minutes, you will still tell yourself, oh, I can do it in 10. I'll get, I'll, I'll get all the green lights this time and, and we'll you know, I'll just speed a little bit and we'll get there. Right. But of course, it still takes 15. So, so one thing I, I would say to you is, is to, look at your, to look at your schedule and say, okay, what really are the must-do things? And if exercise is it, maybe you just maybe you do allow it. It's a two-hour thing. That's how long it takes, you know. And 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 quit pretending it can be done in an hour. That's one <laughs> idea I have for you. When I say that to you, how do you feel about it? What's your reaction? I think it makes me feel lazy in a very weird way. And I understand how that would sound weird since I would be running, but I feel like I should be devoting that time to work in the morning. And that's that's where I really have the struggle is that I feel like running is a very selfish decision, whereas working is something I can do to help other people. Um, and so the thought of allowing two hours for that just makes me feel bad. Whereas if I say it's an hour, then I feel better, even though I know it's not going to be. 
Oh, that's it is so interesting, right? Because what you're saying is that is that you are trying to you've created a sort of mental workaround this mm-hmm. belief that you have. Right. The the underlying belief is that that personal exercise is a lower priority than work. That's the that's the underlying hierarchical belief that you have. Yes. Yes. I feel like it's a selfish thing to do. But then on the days that I don't do it, when I say I'm just going to work because I know that's for the greater good and I'm going to help more people, then I end up not doing my work as well because I'm focused on beating myself up for not running. (laughs) So it's not the greatest. No, because you're, you're describing the other side of this tension is, well, you've done that. You've, you've, you've lived the hierarchy. You know, you've, you've had it where you've lived the hierarchy where you say, okay, work is more important than running, so I will just work. But when you do that, you don't actually feel better and, and, and you feel like something is missing and you're kind of beating yourself up. Oh, you should be out exercising. Right. So it feels like there's no good choice. Yes, that you, 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 have, you have two competing beliefs that both produce an outcome of strain and, uh, and discomfort and not peace, not satisfaction. Right. What do you believe is the most important thing? I don't mean what do other people believe. What, what, within you, what do you believe really is most important? I think work is probably more important. I think I could shorten the run and do more work in the morning because that's when I find I'm most productive. And, 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 and I don't have a value position on this. I just want to understand from you. And wh- why is it more important? Why is work more important for you? Just because I feel like I can help more people and I know my fitness level isn't going to go away if I shorten my run a little bit. This hadn't been an issue for me before COVID because I would do one group exercise class around the corner per day. And so it was really scheduled for me and I've really struggled to maintain that schedule, even though that's been my goal. I've I've really struggled with that in the last few months. So. I think whereas the running is important to me, I think that I can, yeah, I can help more people by not doing it for so long. I could shorten it and I would be fine. What, what was your exercise schedule before all of this? You said it was around the corner. You did it every day. What time did you do that? So I did that at 8.20 every morning, sometimes at 7.10. And I would get up 20 minutes before the class and I would know when it would end and I would come home and then I would give myself a lot of time. And it's really weird because now I can start my run at say eight in the morning or I could start at nine in the morning and I still don't seem to finish until 11 or 11.30, which is weird because I'm starting at a different <laughs> times, but I, I always kind of know that's, that needs to be my end time. It is curious to me. So when you went to this exercise thing, you went for how long were you actually at the workout location? For an hour. Right. So you, it started, you, you, because it had an official start time, because there's other people there, because mm-hmm. there was structure to it, you would start at a set time every day. And it didn't matter what other people's needs were, or other last minute things, you would be there, you would meet those people, you would fulfill it, and you got it done earlier in the day. That's what you Yeah. Said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because it had a set time, then I would know I had to set my alarm and get up at that point. And that's been a little bit harder for me. For, for sure. And, and, and it would be harder. I mean, it, it's not something to beat yourself up about. It is different. You'd found a way that worked for you that was actually relatively easy for you. Uh, a system that you said, I know what the set time is. I don't have to rethink that every day. I know what time my alarm is at. I'm not going to miss that appointment. I'm going to keep that. And it worked. You had something, a, a routine and a system that worked. Now in COVID, you have less structure but that's making it harder to right. actually do it at a set time and to go out and, and so on. And you're finding basically it keeps consuming my whole morning. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's very unsatisfying for you to go, well, look at that. It's noon basically now. And I haven't even got to the work, exactly. you know, the work that's stressing me out, the work that's piling up, the work I feel a sense of mission to do isn't getting done because I can't. <laughs> yep. This is consumes the whole morning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what to do because yeah, I enjoy my run and I feel guilty if I don't do it, but boy, is it putting me behind on other things. This, I think people listening to this will relate to this. Anybody, just about anyone who is, who is exercising before will relate to this. They we will have a system in place and it will have taken them a while to figure out that system. And COVID just, you know, normally when we make change, we make change in one thing at a time or it's a couple of things at, at a time. But COVID just shifted so many things at one time. It, it cannot be less than overwhelming. I mean, it just, that, that's the nature of the challenge. I have so much shift all at once. Suddenly children are at home all the time and it's ed home education and it's uncertainty and it's working from home. And it's, I mean, all of this happened overnight, almost literally overnight. Right. And we had no choice in any of it. Yeah. yeah. It all happened. It all happened instantly. And we're not around each other in the way we were before to even talk through it, to watch mm -hmm. what other people are doing. Well, how are they dealing with that change? Oh, they've, they've, they've gone, to, they're doing this workout routine at this place. Or maybe I'll try that. Like we can't learn from each other in the way that we could just by observation mm -hmm. because we're not with each other. We're isolated. We don't know what everyone else is doing. So, so th this is all making sense. Here's what is grabbing my attention as I listen to you is there was something about the system you had in place that worked. Now, I know you're saying, well, it was a set time and it was this place, but underneath the solution you had were things that made it a solution. Mm -hmm. and, and I want us just to unlock that a little bit, unpack that, because for some people, the solution you had would not be a solution. They, 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 they do it for three weeks that way. And they go, oh, I'm bored of that. They need some other way of exercising. Like you had a solution that worked for you because of who you are, of how you work, of what, what motivates you about how, how things, you know, what works right. for you, your personality. So I'm wondering what the pieces are that worked so that maybe we could go back to those first principles and design a new solution, but that's consistent with the pieces that worked before. I think the two things that I really liked were 
I, I like being told what to do in a fitness class. Um, I've worked out for years and very heavily and run half marathons and everything, but I've never felt like um, knowing what my workout should be has been a strength of mine. So I like that it was all really prepackaged and, and you don't ready for me. I didn't have to think about it. And I also really liked the community of people that would go every day. And that made me excited to see them and cheer them on. And it was just like a very motivating feeling in the morning that you don't get working out on your own. And I miss that. It made me motivated to go and do my work because I would feel like, man, I just accomplished that and we're all in this together and everybody else is successful. And now it's just kind of me. What was the company you went to? Uh, Barry's Bootcamp. Oh, interesting. I, 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 I'm not familiar with that, but, but it reminded me of a system I'd used at, at a company that, that but, the, but, but you said two things just then. One was the don't have to think about it, which makes mm-hmm. sense. We, we, cognitive strain is a big part of <laughs> having too much stuff. <laughs> Seriously, when you have yeah. too many options, you have decision fatigue and you don't want to have to think about that every morning. You don't want to have to figure that out. I, right. I, I'm totally with like you. Just wake up, get yourself there, and then you're told what to do. So that was number one. And the number two thing was the social dimension. Yes. And my guess, what I'm, gonna, what, what I'm hearing from you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that that is the bigger of the two. Yeah, I would say so. That there's something about this, you know, in these, there's, there's four ways of, you know, broadly speaking, thinking for personality types and so on. And there's, there's, there's some interesting research that's been done on this. And, and, and one of the things is that if you, if you choose the wrong, if you have X personality type, but you design a solution as if you had a different personality type, a different way of, a different form of motivation and so on, then you're just making stuff harder than it needs to be. Huh. It's so interesting to me because I consider myself to be a real introvert. So the fact that I got so much out of this and wanted to go and get energy from people early in the morning seems so against how I've classified myself. Yeah, well, there's different kinds of introversion and extroversion anyway. Uh, and And so... So there isn't just one type. Uh, I actually actually think of myself as an introvert too, but that doesn't mean I don't value being with people. Uh, it's not a statement of value. It's a statement of where you get your energy from. Uh, and, so, and so a certain amount of social interaction is, is really necessary for introverts as well. It's just they don't want to spend all day long hanging out with people, spending time talking, chatting all day long. Mm-hmm. So, so I... I you know, it sounds to me like the social aspect, the energy of the group was really key. And so I think that whatever your solution looks like, even in COVID, and it takes a bit of creativity to think about this because of the social distancing aspect, but is there, could you have one or two other people go on a socially distanced run together if it's the run that you still want to do? Is there, a, is there an online community that you can still do? You know, Peloton, of course, is doing really, really well with their bikes and they still have live classes. And so you still see people and you still have that a degree of social interaction. You're together in this process that you might use. But it's something I think that needs, it needs to have a set time so you're showing up not just for yourself, but for other people. You're going to be there for them. They're going to be there for you. There's that aspect. Uh, and, and, and also, I think it's got to be, yeah, there's a set time and there's a social aspect. And I think until you solve that, you won't get going first thing in the morning because the solution isn't really working for you. You're, you're yeah. not really looking forward to it. You, so it just, it, you dragging into it. 
instead of I'm up, I'm doing this and I'm done. Now yeah. I to do the work I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I need to be a lot better about setting my alarm and sticking with it and not staying to cuddle with the dogs in bed, which is very hard. I have a new dog and it's very hard, hard not to. I, I, I mean, I agree with you, but don't rest on willpower. Don't you don't. Interesting. Your, your willpower is such a finite resource. All of ours is. And so we have a choice each day to use will. Uh, let's call it a, a set of willpower dollars and we're, we're given a set amount every morning when we wake up. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you use that? Do you use it to make yourself go running or do you use it to build a system that makes it easy to go running tomorrow and the next day? And, and that's what I'm trying to really solve here with you is, mm-hmm. is what's the system that makes it easy a hundred days in a row Mm-hmm. Rather than I use my willpower, I got out there, I did it today, and then tomorrow it's like, oh, I'm dragging a bit. Okay, fine, I'll do it. And and, and so, it, have you heard about these systems? I mean, I, I'm not being Peloton specific. I am being, but I don't really care about that. I, I'm not trying to advertise for them in any way. It just, have you heard of any systems like that that you think, oh, I could try that. I could, I could imagine doing something about that. I have so many friends who over this quarantine have gotten Pelotons and taken part in the same classes. And it's become just this massive group of people who had maybe been acquaintances before. And now they all feel like they're part of the same team. And I think that's been wonderful. And I've tried to get a Peloton and there's a very long wait list. (laughs) That would have been a great solution for me because that was initially what I saw and thought, great, they get together at a certain time, they schedule their workouts. And I'm so jealous every time they post what they've done and (laughs) (laughs) how they've done things together. But you know, it's interesting because there's a couple of people from the community from my gym who do go on the same run at the same time that I do three days a week. And I really look forward to going those days because I almost feel accountable to to going because they're expecting me to be there. So that's been helpful. And I, I don't think I really thought about the importance of it until you mentioned that, that that really is a motivator for me. And there's lots of other services now that are being created. Maybe they weren't in existence, you know, four or five months ago, but they've been developed. Uh, you know, I know Orange Theory has a live class that they do every day now. It's not the same as going in person, but I know that they have a system. Uh, I, I I know that there are competitors to Peloton out there that, that, that you know, rowing machines that you can get that, that, that have the same idea. And I think within a very, I mean, I'm, I'm confident if we were searching online together now, we would be able to find things that didn't exist three months ago that now exist. Uh, because everybody is has the same problem that was exercising before they had a system they liked the system now that system's gone away people are now creating that solution but i think the criteria is make it easy for you Mm -hmm. because just not this not the forcing not the the dragging if you're dragging anyone who's listening to this if you are dragging in your solution you don't have a solution yet You can't drag your way through life. Like that's not the way to enjoy life and it's not the way to be successful and it's not the way to be sustained in your success. And so what what we need to do is create something that's, that is easy as humanly possible. 
so that when you wake up in the morning, you don't, oh, darn it, I have that thing I've got to do. But it's like, yeah, you know what? I gotta, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting that person. We're going to go for that run. Uh, maybe it's doing that every day. Maybe it's mm-hmm. changing the time for it. Maybe it's sending an email out to everyone in that class before and saying, hey, we just had this conversation uh, and I love the camaraderie we used to have. I'm missing it. Can we do something together? Uh, that, that would work. It's the same group of people, but let's figure something out together. Uh, you, is this, is any of this possible or are these people already found solutions in some other way, Peloton or some, some other way? I still think it's possible because we all lived in the same neighborhood and we're all connected. Thank goodness due to Facebook and Instagram. So yeah, I, I do think that's possible. I don't think that, that you will be alone in that group. I would suspect that everybody in that group to some degree feels the loss of the system they had before. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And I've seen the people I've seen more than just the couple I mentioned before. I've, I've seen quite a few people who have said that they've really felt lost without it. And I'm sure so many people listening right now have just felt with their loss of routine that they just feel out of sorts and it's just taken a while to readjust. And by the time we finally do, maybe we'll be back to it. Things will be open. Yeah. Well, Well, we hope so, but I've, I've felt from the second this all began, I've felt like the safer assumption was that things are never going back. And I don't that's how I sound depressing to other people. It's not depressing to me because the fact is if it goes back and you have a sort of return to normalcy, great. Well, you all have systems for that. I have a system for that. I have a business for that. We'll be all in good shape. But on the scenario that it isn't just six months and it isn't just a year, it, it goes on and on. We need to build a new system. And so so that's what is that's what I believe to my to my core about becoming an essentialist is that you want a system that makes executing what is most important as easy as possible sometimes people make the mistake of trying to become an essentialist in a very hard or even non-essentialist way and so it's like they get the right idea. Oh, I've got to simplify my life. I've got to focus it around what really matters. But then they try and approach it in a very perfectionist way or a very willpower-centered way, uh, a power-through kind of approach. And these, these are in no way the essentialist way. What we need is, 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 is a way that feels natural, feels like us, feels like it works. And that's worth putting a little extra effort into building out that routine because once you've built it once it works for you 10 times a hundred times even a thousand times into the future so let me just be you know i feel like we haven't quite solved it but i'm not sure we can solve it fully in this moment but the process we went through explore what's essential you identified something that really matters to you and why it mattered so much we've talked about what's uh you know what we need to design to make execution as easy as possible mm-hmm. and and that really is essentialism in a microcosm uh the, 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 it's these kinds of decisions where we're working out what matters and we're trying to c- create a system uh, that works for us uh, that, that really is what the way of the essentialist is all about one last thing that's really been helpful for me is I felt really, like I said, off track when I do the long run and then I don't do my work in the morning. And my mom had really drilled in me, you need to be doing a to-do list and writing things down by hand and following that. So if you feel like you're off track or you're browsing social media, when you know you have other stuff to do, you stay accountable to the to-do list. So I think that's a suggestion I would have for people who are in quarantine right now and just feeling like they're a little bit off track is the importance of writing stuff down by hand and having it in front of you and not just a to-do list 
using your phone. I think there's a big difference. I agree with that completely. I use a, a, a written journal every day for my planning and for my reflection at the end of the day. And I, I, I rarely miss it now. I mean, rarely miss it in the last sort of nine years that I've done that almost every day. And and I, I'm a big believer in the just write stuff down and using paper and pen. Uh, I see it as its own technology and it's working. One additional idea I have for COVID times related to everything we've talked about is is to have a checklist and it's the simplest idea but to have have a self-care checklist uh you know these are the items i ought to be doing want to be doing every day to protect the asset you know the asset is you i wish i could blow to bits the idea that that exercise that reading for recuperation to taking a bath at the end of the day to relax uh going on a walk uh for mental health uh exercise again for just emotional vigor not just for the physical benefits i wish i could i could blow to bits the idea that that uh, those items uh are selfish Uh, these things are essential we are the only vehicle through which we can make a contribution to anyone else if we burn this asset out, even if we burn it out slowly, we are, we are killing the golden goose uh, that, that produces the golden eggs. It, it's, 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 there's nothing selfish whatsoever about creating a life that is sustainable, uh, that, that, that looks after the most valuable asset that we have, which is ourselves. Uh, and so while we want to design an efficient system uh, and structures that make it easy to do these things so that we can have space to contribute elsewhere. I think that it's the most valuable work we can be doing. Let me be specific in illustrating this. There are three concentric circles in the path of an essentialist. And I've really learned this in post-COVID world. I wasn't teaching this before and it's not in the book. That three concentric circles at the center of that circle is protect the asset in the second circle there's your most essential relationships and in the third circle is everything that's out there and this is the simplest idea in the world what i'm about to share which is that non-essentialists start from the outside in they start with all the stuff out there the email the the, the social media the, the all the projects that are interesting to them they want to make a contribution and it's just all the stuff out there and that's like drinking the ocean. You can never complete it. So it means that consistently you'll have very little left for the people that matter most to you. Mm-hmm. You'll show up with them. You're going to be worn out. You're going to be burned out by the end of the day. Uh, when you see them, they're, they're irritating to you in a way because you're already worn out. So anything they want, you, you, you resent them a little bit. So that's, of course, not going to be building great relationships with the people that matter most. And then last of all is yourself, the protecting the asset, your mind, body, heart, and spirit. And, and people in COVID time, someone was just telling me recently that how they're trying to meet that need uh, is that at the end of the day at midnight, when they should be sleeping, they start scrolling through Zillow for two hours. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you can see, of course, that that pattern, that is going to be a non-essentialist cycle because the next day they're more tired. So they're making worse choices. So they're more likely to go mm-hmm. from the outside in. Non-essentialists work from the outside in. Essentialists work from the inside out. That's it. 
And Greg, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about creating a life or essentialism that you had to learn the hard way and you maybe wish someone had told you about and it might have saved you some time, some years, whatever? Um, one of the, the experiences that was n- naming and writing essentialism and being on this essentialist journey for these years now uh, was when I got an email from uh, my manager at the time that said, Friday between 1 and 2 p.m. would be a bad time for your wife to have a baby. <laughs> because, uh, because I need you to come to this client meeting and whatever. And and uh, sure enough, Thursday night, we're in the hospital. Uh, daughter's born first thing in uh, Friday morning. And so Friday, I'm there in the hospital. My wife's there and everyone's well enough. I mean, as well as, as, well as one is after they've gone through the valley of the shadow of death the night before. But I'm there torn. Instead of being focused, instead of being, this is what's essential today. This is clearly what matters. Everything else can wait. I feel torn. How can I do both? How can I keep everybody happy? And to my shame, I go to the meeting. I leave my hours old baby and uh, my wife in the hospital. I go to this client meeting. And afterwards, I remember my manager said, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. And I don't know that they did I don't know that the look on their faces evinced that sort of confidence. <laughs> but, even, but even if they had, it is clear uh, that I made a fool's bargain. And what I, what I learned from that lesson was the simplest of things, which is if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Uh, and, and that is what... I, I, mean, I wish someone had told me, yes, I uh, wish I'd understood it. Uh, but also, I suppose in a different way, it's, it's now what I want uh, to make sure that everyone else does get told. I think the most, the saddest moments in my time since writing Essentialism is when I get an email or, or, or read online somebody who says, I've just read Essentialism. I wish, this is literally true. Uh, somebody says, I wish I had read this 50 years ago. Um, and, and really that gives me fire for the deed because, uh, because there's lots of people who are living the life of a non-essentialist, not by design, but by default. Uh, they're, they're, they're just doing what other people are doing and they're doing what they understand is the hierarchy of, of prioritization. They're going from the outside in. Uh, and so I feel uh, on a mission uh, to help people to be wiser than I was in that day in the hospital all these years ago. I think you are well well on your mission to, to doing that well, very far along. And how can people learn more about you and what you're up to and check out your social media and learn about essentialism? I think that, I mean, I think the primary thing you do is just go to essentialism.com because from there you can sign up. We have, I, I just started a few months ago, uh, One Minute Wednesday, which is a one minute sharpening your uh, essentialism focus a newsletter uh, that, that you can learn about the podcast there, the Essentialism uh, podcast, which is, which is great, I, by the yeah. way. Oh, that's kind of you say that. Yeah, I was um, listening to it. It's super. And, uh, 
and then just social media, you know, Instagram at Gregory McEwen, Twitter at Gregory McEwen, LinkedIn as well. Uh, so, uh, so they can join the conversations in any of those places. Well, Greg, we thank you so much for joining us. This has been really fun and enlightening. And uh, hopefully we've passed on some information to our listeners that uh, will be very valuable in their lives. Yeah, I think a lot of people are in my position right now. So hopefully they've been able to listen to this and hear your wisdom and hopefully it's helped them. I I hope so too. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks again to Greg McEwen. His book is Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And you can find him at essentialism.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 